one person in Maine, the state of Maine. Can you imagine that? One person, $1.3 billion. Was it billion, right? Yeah. Yep. Billion, $1. but... $1.3 billion. Um, after taxes, it's just a mere something like $720 million. How will they survive? A mere bag of shells. Yeah. <laughs> and someone here uh, in Illinois won uh, a $2 million ticket really? on that. Yes. There were uh, people in, 14 people in 10 other states were also part of the win, but the jackpot was in Maine, yes. Would you come to work if you want, if, you know, like, we're not, we're not going to find out who this winner is for months, maybe, because, you know, they want, uh, hopefully, if they're smart, they're getting their affairs in order and, you know, getting things uh, to protect the money and all that sort of thing, so we're not going to find out. But let's say that you know that you won, you bought the ticket, you know that you won, what do you do? Do you come to work? Do you just pretend like everything's okay? I would. Would I continue after everything was made official? I don't know. But, you yeah, know. I would we, come to work to gloat. <laughs> to say, nah, 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 I wouldn't nah, nah. say anything. I would, I, would, uh, I would kind of keep it under wraps. That's what I mean. How, yeah. how, how hard would that be? Though, it would to, be hard to Knowing do. that you just won yeah. $1.3 billion and you still have to come to work and put up with me. Oh, well, then I would definitely call. <laughs> I don't have to put up with him anymore. <laughs> well, I'll see you later. I'm, I'm not even going to call. I'm a billionaire. <laughs> I'm going to buy that station and get rid of him. Uh, well, that's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. Nice for somebody. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Nice that you would ignore me. No, that, that wouldn't surprise me. But the uh, uh, nice for that one person. And in a very small town. Yeah, I know. A very small town. That's what that gets me when... Why? Because I don't think they know how to spend $1.3 billion. <laughs> well, who does? I, I think I'm more qualified to spend that much. What would you spend it on? Uh, gum. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of gum. What would... Oh, you would you would go look for the old flavors like beech nut. Tea berry. Tea berry gum. I used to love tea berry gum. Tea berry gum. gum. That was good. Clove gum. Clove. Remember clove? I do remember seeing it, but I remember hating it. Oh, you didn't like it? It had juicy a fruit. flavor. Juicy fruit. Yes, definitely. They still sell juicy fruit, yeah. right? Yeah. All yes. The, all the Wrigley gum. Juicy oh, fruit, yeah. double mint. Double Big mint. red. Big red. Yeah. Do you remember Sin Sins? It's not gum, but it was always in the candy section. Sin Sins. No. They, they were like little tiny, almost like Tic Tacs. Uh, except I don't even know how to describe flavor except to say if you scraped something off the sidewalk and put it in that package, that's what I would imagine. That it, oh, it tasted, that sounds appealing. It tasted like soap. That's what it tasted like, soap. Uh, now, why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know why anybody <laughs> would want that. I, ta- I tried it. Somebody had it, and I tried Simpsons? it. Simpsons? S-E-N-S-E-N. S-E-N. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, the, only, the only reason I've ever heard of that was it was in Billy Joel's Keeping the Faith song. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. Smoked a fresh pack of Luggies in a mint called Sensen. Yeah, it was not a mint. It was more yeah, like lava, pretty, lava yeah. soap. Well, it had to fit the rhyme, right? <laughs> right. Lava soap, <laughs> Billy Joel and his rhymes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Andy, no, I do not remember What's uh, anything coming out of the Cubs convention this year? I haven't heard Lots of stuff coming out of the really? Cubs convention this year, I mean, yeah. Maybe I'm just not paying attention, but it seems like back in the day that we there was like huge... 
big things going on and fun events and things like that. Yeah, there were a couple of big news items, though, yesterday uh, from uh, Tom Ricketts' session uh, on stage. He announced that uh, Ryan Sandberg is going to have a statue. Oh, I did see in that. Gallagher Way. I did see that. It's coming in 2024, I believe. That's nice. And they've also inducted, uh, will be inducting two new members of the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame. And that was a nice little uh, infield combo of Sean Dunstan and Mark Grace. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's very nice. That's our era, right? Correct. I feel like that's my era of Cubs. Mid 80s yeah. to the late 80s, early 90s. Where's Rhino's statue, uh, statue going to go? Where's Ronnie, Ron Santos' yeah, so they statue moved, now? They moved all yeah, the statues. they moved them all to uh, Gallagher Way, which is right by the new uh, office building that they built. It's uh, just off the third base side outside yeah. the park. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've got a nice little statue row there. And it's it's funny because when, when Fergie Jenkins was the last to have a, a statue unveiled. It was this year. And if you were paying attention, you looked at the, uh, the where the statues are. There were two empty uh, pedestals, basically. So that left a lot of people wondering, okay, well, there's going to be at least two more because they've got these pedestals here. Yeah. Uh, Fergie took one of them, and now the debate is raging on uh, who might get another one. Who should get another one? Well, I would, you know, Sandberg is an obvious choice. Uh, I think the, the criteria to be met is Hall of Fame. So it would probably, in my eyes, be between uh, Andre Dawson and Greg Maddox. Hmm. That's just me thinking. Uh, what about the the World Series Cubs? Players? Yeah, I think it's a little too, uh, it's too probably soon? a little too early for that. Um, you know, it's it's still too recent, and I, I think I think the criteria to be met is you have to be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, okay, all right. Because I can see a Javi Baez, a Javi Baez, he needs a statue. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Chris Chris Bryant. Did you say? Yeah, yeah, he needs one. A little Ben Zobrist action. You know where we need a statue? Right here in front of uh, 303 East Wacker, in front of the WGN building. Dave Schwan. Oh, of course. <laughs> he needs a statue. I thought you were going to promote yourself there. For no, I don't, need, <laughs> I don't need anything more on the street. <laughs> I, t- I spent too many years watching people walk on my Hall of Fame plaque. Oh, that's right. Over in Pioneer, putting cigarettes out on me. <laughs> While you were standing over there, going, I was hey, right there. Hey, you know, I'm 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 Dean Richards. I wasn't there. I'm Dean. I, I'm 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 him. I was standing on the other side of the window, watching people put <laughs> cigarettes out on my name with the velvet rope around it. <laughs> my security guard didn't do anything. Every, to and stop they would them. they would gingerly walk around every other plaque, <laughs> right? But not yours. right with respect. They're like. <laughs> spitting on it it's just a mess. laughing at it too uh this just in on our text line sensen is made from black licorice mm. okay. now i like black licorice i do too i did not but you like, don't like clove gum i didn't i don't remember if i like clove gum you know because i was a kid then you don't want if you have a choice between well i was a kid and spearmint, i well, you're a weird kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're a weird kid. The uh, You wanted, like, you know, fruity, fun kid flavors. You I had juicy fruit. seemed like clove was an adult flavor. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Oh. But somebody said that uh, Sinsen was made from black licorice. Okay. Sinsen, we have quite a few Sinsen texts, uh, was used to cover up the scent of alcohol on your breath. Uh-huh. <laughs> hmm. 
someone said that Sin Sins were like little bits of heaven. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sin Sin reminds me of charcoal, says somebody else. Do they still make them? I don't know. We need to investigate this. Since in freshened your breath, chlorophyll was the active ingredient. Chlorophyll? That sounds... That does, uh, Is that... Is chlorophyll good? Well, no, okay, we're confusing it with chloroform. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what I, that's what I'm thinking. Well, according to uh, oldtimecandy.com, yes. we are sad to announce that Sensen has been discontinued Aww. by the manufacturer and our supply is sold out. Yeah, because it tasted awful. Yeah. It says, it's, it says here, the history, Sensen is the original breath freshener. They are small, hard pieces of with licorice flavor. Sensen was developed in the late 1800s. Oh, see? Yeah. Yeah, that seems like something that yeah. Abraham Lincoln would have <laughs> would have freshened his breath up a little bit with before he gave the Gettysburg Address. He took two, three uh-huh. sensens. Oh, and the name sensen uh, in J- in Japan means glistening. Oh, okay. So there you go. You know what I was thinking about of uh, like candy names. I don't know why I was thinking this. This is the weirdest thing to think. Like one of my favorite candies is Swedish Fish. Oh yeah, They're, aren't they delicious? Awesome. They're de- they're delicious and off. Uh, Shawnee, do you even know what I do? Swedish fish. I can't eat them anymore, though. Why? I, um, my teeth. Oh, your dentures are going to fall. Yeah, I've got bad choppers. <laughs> 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 Everything sticks to the dentures. What the heck is going on here? Here. Well, I was just thinking, it's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Why would why would a delicious candy be named something so disgusting? Yeah. What Swedish fish? Yeah, Who wants, I don't know. Hey, I want something delicious. Let me get some candy that's named after fish. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem congruent. No, I can't eat them. I can't eat uh, juju bees anymore. Yeah, that was my mom's favorite. She still loves those things. Oh. The juju bees. I used to have to go to the uh, to the candy store just to get them for her. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a little messenger service, you know, when I would ride my bike well, over that to would, the drugstore. Yeah, but know. that would be a good excuse for you to get your own favorite yeah, exactly. candy, too, then. You were Pack like a baseball card. You were like a yeah. early Uber Eats. Correct. Correct. Uh, I think early I, Uber Eats. I think I only saw those <laughs> at uh, at the movie theater. Wasn't Jujubee's a big movie theater candy? Yeah, uh, along with uh, the Raisinets. Raisinets. Raisinets, Milk Duds. Yeah, Goobers. Snowcaps. No. Mm-hmm. But I remember Jujubees in the store. But the Sen Sens, I just, I just don't recall those. Yeah, those Jujubees would take your fillings right out. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, now that was the only stuff I could eat because when, when I was a kid, I was growing up allergic to chocolate. Oh. I've outgrown it since. Really? I was allergic to chocolate and to peanut butter. Interesting. Oh, peanut butter? So if I wanted wow. to cheat, give me a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah. Oh, that was complete decadence. Oh, big time. And when I was oranges, too, was something I was allergic to. And Wait a minute. You were allergic to chocolate, peanut butter, and, and oranges, oranges? When I was growing up, yeah. And I've outgrown them because I eat them all the time now and nothing, nothing happens. But, uh, yeah, the Reese's peanut butter cup also came in an orange wrapper, so it was triple threat. Right, right. <laughs> How did you discover that you were no longer allergic to these things? Uh, just after, uh, I think, Trial in, in and college, error. it was uh, just, you know, would eat. A lot of uh, a lot You're of candy. On a wild bender, yeah, and just like, went on a crazy hey, chocolate Hershey you know Hershey's kisses bender. I'm gonna go and eat some chocolate. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> I'm a man. I can do whatever uh, I want. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think that's how I discovered it was uh, trial and error. Hmm. There was no error, so a lot of trial. Fascinating. 
So it's all been a fascinating first segment of the show today. Another yes. layer of the onion is peeled. Hasn't it? We've covered lots of things here today <laughs> in this short period of time. And uh, when we come back from the break, uh, I am positive that we've got a fantastic far-flung forecast. Actually, we do. Can you give us a tease? Uh, yes, we will be staying in Illinois this week. Well, well, we have a very important announcement to if make. If that's not reason to continue listening, <laughs> I don't know what is. Chicago's very own WGN. Three musketeers, three musketeers, Snickers. the double chocolate treat. I like Snickers better than three musketeers. Oh, I, I still too. enjoy yeah, a good Snickers bar. Yeah. Snickers and Milky Way. Yeah. It's the only fingers. reason I go trick-or-treating still. <laughs> <laughs> And how many doors are slammed in your face? <laughs> <laughs> you're, an old, you're an old man. Get out of here. Look at this costume. I can dressed. only imagine what you'd be wearing. <laughs> he's dressed. No. I go to the door and they go, oh, look at this. He's dressed as an old bald man. <laughs> well, he's got different glasses this year. <laughs> Far-flung forecast says... The, with this, we stay, as we mentioned, and I thought it was a very fine tease, by the way, that we are in Illinois yes. today. We go to Barrie, Illinois. Barrie, Illinois. I've never B-A-R-R-Y, heard of Barrie. Barrie, Illinois. Illinois, which is 80 miles west of Springfield. Okay. And it has its origins going back as far as 1836. Hmm. Now, the original name was to have been Bar or Barre, which was uh, named by a lady who was a rather new citizen there, giving the town the name after an area where she grew up. However, the person who was recording the name wrote it as Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and the name stuck. But A simple misspelling. A simple misspelling, Hmm. exactly. But... We mentioned Barrie because it is two miles away from another town that actually no longer exists. It's called New Philadelphia. Really? New Philadelphia was actually the first settlement by an African-American who legally settled a town and prior to the Civil War. The gentleman's name was Frank McWhorter. He bought his freedom in Kentucky and moved his family to there, and he referred to himself as Free Frank McWhorter. Now, we mention this because New Philadelphia has now been officially named as the newest national park site. It is uh, was uh, named at the end of the year as the 424th National Park Site, and the plans are now underway for the National Park Service to move in with local and state historical society members there that have kept New Philadelphia and its uh, heritage alive. And as a matter of fact, there are descendants of Frank McWhorter that still live in the area there that have done much to keep that keep that name alive. I wonder how they decided on that name. Were they, was it a group of people from the Philadelphia area? No, no and they was, came here and said, "What should we call this?" I, you know, my this is just a guess on my part, but I really believe that since Philadelphia was known as the city of brotherly love, oh. and Frank McWhorter moving in, a former slave, wanted to promote love and brotherhood. Brotherly love. It actually was an interracial community at the oh, time in the really? 19th century. Okay. But it's partly sunny in Barrie, Illinois, near New Philadelphia, 34 degrees today. It's time for our weekly visit with the great Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern's Central DuPage Hospital. 
Dr. Most, my friend, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Dean. I'm doing great. Good to have you on with us here. Before we, I want to get into a few different health topics this morning, but uh, I, I just want to occasionally touch back in on uh, what's going on with COVID, where we are with this. I was a little bit concerned when I heard that there was an investigation going on regarding uh, 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 safety concerns regarding the COVID vaccine uh, that were being investigated. Uh, a safety monitoring system last November uh, picked up a signal that the updated Pfizer COVID vaccine was possibly linked to an increased risk of strokes in people above the age of 65. And it has, has since found that uh, that is not the case, that the risk is extremely low, if not uh, non-existent. But these kinds of things apparently are, are just going on all the time. Uh, the uh, testing of the vaccines and monitoring systems to make sure that uh, what it is that people still should be taking uh, are, are completely safe, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Think about all the vaccines that we get and we give to children. In When the new vaccine comes out, we want to know, did you have any side effects? Because when you test a vaccine on 50,000 people, it's totally different than giving it to hundreds of millions. So certainly we knew some of the side effects and, and we're tracking those. But then put in the monitoring program so that actually when you got your COVID vaccine, your first vaccine, you should have been given a piece of paper that says, here is how you can report any symptoms that you uh, might have, any side effects that you might have. And again, it's just to gather the numbers in big numbers so that we can continue to make sure that what we're giving is safe. So safe and effective. So, yeah. Yep. So uh, the, good, good to know that that investigation turned up uh, nothing, essentially. Uh, where are we right now with COVID uh uh, uh, testing and people testing positive. You know, there was a, such a great fear that uh, there would be another big upheaval uh, as we were, you know, going inside during the cold weather. Are, are we actually seeing that happen? Well, we're seeing a little bump, but not too big of a bump. Now, that being said, we are expecting here in the next couple of weeks in the Midwest to see an increase that XBB strain, and again, the nice thing about it is we, we, don't have a, we don't have a new Greek letter for it, right? We're not using Zeta or Tau or anything. So these are still falling under that same Omicron. And the reason that that is really good is because we know then that the vaccine will continue to work and that some of the medications will continue to work. But the XBB we're finding out right now is much more contagious than any of the other strains, so we expect it to really spread quickly. That being said, it is not as virulent. So we're not seeing hospitalizations go up, but we're certainly seeing more people infected with it, especially on the East Coast, but really expected to be here in the Midwest within the next couple of weeks. Uh, a texter from 773 said, is the monkeypox threat an outbreak? Is that over with? How about it? You know, that was a lot of news and a lot of hype and a lot of activity around that and knowing that we were short on vaccines and needing to make sure we got the vaccines in the right people's hands. It has. It's kind of fallen off a cliff, which is good. And I think that that is as much awareness. So individuals who were um, had a, a possibility of getting that either got vaccinated or were well aware of it and just the public's awareness of it. So 
Uh, we really have not seen much at all of monkeypox, and it has really dropped dramatically, uh, much quicker than we all thought it would. Yeah. To what do you think we attribute that? Was it just the awareness and people went and got uh, vaccines for it, or just it uh, just you know naturally died out? Yeah, I think it's a combination of that. Again, monkeypox was not a virus that you're going to walk down the street and walk by somebody, you know, like you could with COVID or influenza. You had to have direct, you know, skin-to-skin contact for this to spread. So certainly the uh, ability for it to spread is a lot different than it is the respiratory viruses. But I think there was such a great push for here's the awareness, here's the symptoms, here's how you can get vaccinated. I think just that that worked so well uh, in this case. Uh, We're going to get to some phone calls for uh, Dr. Most in a minute. If you want to get on the line or get a text in 312-981-7200-312-981-7200. I guess the big uh, medical story of the week was Lisa Murray Presley uh, dying apparently of cardiac arrest. Uh, They still haven't given an official cause of death. But paramedics in that area of California where she lived, I think it was Calabasas, uh, reported to a call, uh, a a cardiac arrest call. Uh, They didn't identify her, but they did say it was a woman in her 50s. All the indications seemed to be that it was her and that it was cardiac arrest. But again, no official uh, cause of death. Uh, is, Is this, you know, similar to what we saw uh, with uh, the NBA player DeMar the week before of suffering cardiac arrest, uh, one one turning out positive yeah. and one not so much? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, the DeMar Hamlin NFL story where he was hit and, you know, it caused a change in his electrical activity of his heart. Um, certainly with um, a, a woman in their 50s, could that happen where the heart could go into fibrillation? Absolutely. Uh, but I think probably one of the bigger things we need to understand here is to make sure that women understand that their symptoms are not the classic symptoms that men often have for heart disease. Someone sitting on my chest, chest pressure. Women can often have stomach pain. They can have back pain. They can just feel nauseated or fatigued. So really, I think that not knowing the whole story with, um, with Ms. Presley and really the cause of death, but certainly a reminder for all of us one, for females to know what the symptoms are. And two, again, just a reassurance that everybody knows that they should know where the closest AED is if they're at a work or a public facility. And two, take the time to take the CPR course, which takes, you know, an hour um, to know how to do CPR the right way. And those are the ones that are going to make the difference. Look yeah. at Demar. He got CPR within a minute. Look at the outcome that he's had. I mean, he was He's back with the team yesterday for a short period of time. Yeah. It would not surprise me if he's on the sidelines today. That is, uh, it, it's truly a, a miraculous story given everything that we saw. In the case of Lisa Marie, though, I mean, she was out and about, uh, you know, prior to her death. She was at the Golden Globe Awards on Tuesday night and, um, you know, talking on, on the red carpet. Now, admittedly, people, people who interviewed her that day said that they – they felt like something was off, that she didn't seem uh, herself, that she, she, she looked different, she acted different. Are those some of the characteristics where uh, someone might say that there are some red flags going on? 100%. 100%. 
You know, was she fatigued? Did she just have this kind of sense of, I'm not really feeling well? Like I said, some of the symptoms are as simple as nausea and fatigue. That can make someone look like they're off a little bit. Um, And again, she didn't have a lot of family history, right? Her father obviously died at a very young age, but there's not like a lot of genealogy that she can look back and say, oh, I should be uh, concerned about heart disease in my family. So certainly, you know, a, a red flag and something that we all should watch. And again, an arrest at home versus an arrest where there's a paramedic and, a, and an athletic trainer, you know, 100 feet away is totally different. And the outcomes obviously are totally different as well. Yeah, her, uh, Lisa Marie's father, Elvis, died at a much younger age of 42, also of cardiac arrest. Uh, but, you know, his cardiac arrest uh, they believe was caused because of an overuse of drugs. Is that something which could also bring on uh, cardiac arrest? Oh, absolutely. You know, we know that both types of drugs can cause this, right? You know that the stimulant drugs can get the heart rate up to a point where the heart isn't pumping well. So the heart rate is really high. The pump is ineffective. And then we also know that depressants and pain medications can slow down breathing to a point where the the heart is not getting enough oxygen. That's why people that have overdoses, let's say, with whether it's fentanyl or any of the opioids, are given Narcan right away because we can turn we can reverse that. So someone with a healthy heart who has taken an overdose but is given Narcan soon enough can reverse that and can get them back to their breathing and their heart pumping pumping again. Um, and I'm certain that in any of these situations, that's one of the first things that the paramedics are going to do when they come across a body or across an individual who's not breathing is in the back of their mind, they're thinking the opioid problem that we have, let's try Narcan first. So certainly um, I would imagine that that was done with Lisa Marie as well as starting CPR, you know, in the home prior to uh, transporting to the hospital. The, um, uh, does depression uh, play into uh, the chance of uh, cardiac arrest? Lisa Marie's son just two years ago committed suicide. Uh, and, you know, anybody, whether it's suicide or not, anyone who's lost a child knows how debilitatingly sad that is and how a lifelong depression, uh, clinical depression, uh, could set in as a result of that stunning and incomprehensible loss. Is there a physiological uh, response that the body has to that much sadness, depression? Oh, absolutely. You know, you've probably heard of something called the broken heart syndrome. You know, it's something where an individual has a trigger because of a sudden loss or because of, of uh, a, a deep depression, you know, due to a life lo- or a, a life uh, changing experience, and actually the heart starts to fail. So it's very fascinating when we look at it because it's like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Their arteries are fine, everything is fine, but we do know that that there's such a thing as a broken heart syndrome. Individuals who had a good heart. Now, because of profound sadness and, and uh, depression, their heart starts to fail. It's, uh, you know, often after really a stressful or emotional event. And they're still trying to figure out how to do it and how to identify it because it appears that it causes the heart to thicken. So we get a cardiomyopathy 
and then the heart, the pump doesn't, the heart doesn't pump as well. And next thing you know, you're going down a course of heart failure. So, um, it's one of those ones in medicine where you always like to have a reason. We always like to be able to figure it out. And this is one that sometimes we can't. Sometimes it only lasts a short period of time, and then the, the heart rallies and comes back to a normal yeah. function. So it's fascinating. Uh, also, also, how hereditary is heart disease? Uh, Elvis uh, died of uh, heart uh, problems. Elvis's mother died of uh, heart disease at age 46. So, I mean, there's there's a history in that family of heart disease at a fairly young age. Is that common? Yes. You know, unfortunately, it is. And I'll tell you, just in, in my family alone, my father died in his early 60s um, from a heart attack. My older brother had a heart attack at the age of 47. So, I mean, we certainly know that our family history for cardiac disease is there, and that's not uncommon. There's familial hypercholesterolemia, which means you'll find that many people in the same family have an elevated cholesterol rate or cholesterol level, so certainly need to have uh, be on treatment for that. We know that hypertension and other heart illnesses can have a genetic uh, predisposition to it, so certainly anybody who's had a parent who has, uh, has had a cardiac event should be at their doctor, should be knowing what their blood pressure is, what is their blood sugar, because pre-diabetic can cause more heart illness, as well as knowing what your blood pressure is and knowing what your cholesterol level is. Two things that are very important in heart disease. All right. So, uh, you know, this uh, while a very sad story of the passing of Lisa Murray Presley, uh, you know, information that, that's out there as a result of all of this, may be of benefit to you, uh, li- you know, who are listening to all of this information in the meantime. Some uh, calls and texts for Dr. Kevin Most, 312-981-7200. The uh, 407 area code says, this time of year people talk about cabin fever. Is it a real thing from a medical perspective? Yes. I mean, cabin fever is also looked at along with seasonal affective disorder. So, one, we're not getting as much sunlight. So, certainly individuals who need that sunlight to um, keep their energy up and to, to do that. So, we know that there's a depression that happens due to not having enough sunlight. And the cabin fever is the exact same. You're decreasing your socialization. You're not out as much. You're not interacting. So mental health, mental health at this time of the year is very, very key. So not only the anxiety and stress from cabin fever, but the depression from seasonal affective disorder certainly affects more people in the winter than it does in the summer. Not getting outside for the fresh air, the exercise, and the socialization really starts to impact people at about a month. And really, that's about where we're at. And really, we try to tell people, get out. The days like today where it's not snowing, it's not raining, it's a little bit cold, still get out, take a walk, get some fresh air, interact with people, uh, because Kevin Fever is, is a actual mental illness. Yeah. Uh, the, I know for a while they were selling uh, these little lights that you could buy. To me, they just looked like little lamps, but they were marketing them <clears throat> uh, you know, for seasonal affected disorder on the days like we've had over the past week or so that were so dreary that you turn this lamp on and it causes brightness. Uh, is that a, a real thing? I mean, could I just turn a lamp on in, in my house, <clears throat> turn the lights on in my house and get the same thing? 
<laughs> no, it's not so much. There's more science behind it than you would think. You would say, oh, it really doesn't make a difference because we all have lights in our home. But really, it is the intensity of the light and the duration of how long you're exposed to the light. So if you look or you talk to your doctor, uh, there's you, you can just Google seasonal affective disorder lamps, and it's the proper light and the proper uh, tone of light uh, to help deliver the, the, the light that you need to take care of that side of it from your brain's point of view. Um, and it's certainly, it is not just a winter doldrums. This is actually a medical condition that can be treated. And really, uh, if you notice people that in the winter they get the doldrums and they get down a little bit, it's not a bad idea to say, have you talked to your doctor about mm. seasonal affective disorder? Mm. And it's worth it, and it's worth the treatment. I know that I, I am very affected by that. On those dreary days, I just feel lethargic and don't want to do anything. And, you know, I, I, I do go home and turn all the lights on. It it, it makes me feel brighter for some reason. I don't know. Uh, I, well, yeah, and, and, and you, you get active. You start to do things. I yeah. say the other big thing I really like to remind people about in the winter is make sure you're taking your vitamin D supplement because yeah. you're not getting enough sunlight, not only for your mental health, but also for your bone health and, and immune health. Yeah, I, I started doing that about six months ago. I, I, I don't know if it's making a difference or not, but I, <laughs> I, I am at least trying. Uh, the 847 area code says, ask Dr. Most about uh, vaccine spike proteins creating plaque in the body. Does that sound right to you? No, and, you know, I'm not sure what she's saying. If it's the COVID vaccine with the spike protein that we're we're looking for, um, certainly there was concern. Is this causing problems in in young kids, you know, with heart issues? Um, But if she's talking about the COVID vaccine, really we have vetted that out over, just like we were talking about at the beginning, to see is there any side effect profile that could cause heart illness or could cause, and we found no. Matter of fact, COVID can cause more heart disease than um, uh, than the vaccine. Here's another, uh, a similar, I guess, that says, I was fully vaccinated, had COVID in December, and suffered a blood clot in my eye. My doctor said it would disappear. My vision is perfect. I use the drugs, uh, drug uh, Paxlovid. And they say that it caused my blood pressure to spike. To, is that something common with Paxlovid? Well, Paxlovid, you always want to make sure that, that, that your doctor is well aware of what the side effects could be. Now, some um, people have reported increases in blood pressure, but not to a point where we're going to tell somebody who has high blood pressure to not take it. Interesting, it would be interesting to know if this individual had high blood pressure to begin with. Now, the blood clot, we certainly knew that um, COVID, unfortunately, can cause some blood clots. We know many people who had blood clots post-COVID infections. Great that it resolved on its own. Sometimes people will be put on aspirin to make sure it slows down. And depending on how big that clot is, uh, sometimes we use other medications to dissolve that clot. Um, But often blood clots in the eyes will resolve on their own. And it's not so much that the blood clot resolves, but often it's um, new regeneration of blood vessels to support that portion of the eye. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they uh, told me that they had gotten uh, COVID this past December, and they were shocked because they were fully vaccinated. 
and they said, well, I, I was supposed to have been protected from getting COVID by getting vaccinated. And I explained it. It doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. It lessens the severity of what COVID uh, could do for you. Uh, here's a uh, uh, text from 312. We got the most recent COVID booster in September. Should we get another booster in six months? Or does it last longer? I, th- I think people are still confused about some of the basics on this. Absolutely. And it's, it's not unusual for people to be confused. And I don't think that we, as the medical side, have really told everybody the best messaging for this. So if you have gotten the, um, if you've gotten the booster that has BA4 and BA5 in it, you are covered right now. There's no need for an additional booster. Now, like you said, Dean, we're going to, like I said, and you were just speaking about, I just told you we're going to see more cases of COVID here in the next couple of weeks. Why? Because of this XBB strain. Very similar to what we see with influenza. Influenza vaccine covers four different viruses, yet we still see people with influenza. Why? Because we have subvariants, but we're not seeing as many people in hospitals. We're not seeing as many people on ventilators. We're not seeing people dying from this illness. So certainly the vaccine is teaching your immune system what to look for. And as soon as it sees it, starts to attack it and decreases the incidence of it. So how long you're going to have it, how bad you're going to have it, those are the things that the vaccine prevents you from having. This is not like a polio vaccine where we're going to stop polio in its tracks. COVID is going to be with us for a long time, people. I hate to say it, but you're going to start to see more annual vaccines, I believe, for COVID probably starting in the fall. Yeah. Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. Have a great Sunday, Kev. Thank you. You got it, Dean. Take care. We'll talk soon. I'm Lieutenant Dan Taylor. Welcome to Fort Platoon. What's wrong with your lip? I was born with big gums, sir. Yeah, well, you better tuck that in. I'm gonna get that caught on a tripwire. Where are you boys from in the world? Alabama, sir. Gary said he uh, starred and was so great in the motion picture Forrest Gump back in 1994. He has starred in so many great motion pictures uh, before and since then, and also television series. Uh, cut his teeth in acting as uh, one of the founders of uh, the Great Steppenwolf Theater Company. Uh, back in uh, Highland Park back in the day, and since then has been so involved in uh, taking care of uh, veterans. Uh, his uh, One of his latest projects is a special presentation, which will take place at the Downstairs Theater at Steppenwolf on January 20th and 21st, called Last Out, Elegy of uh, Green Beret. And uh, Gary Sinise joins us on the phone line right now. Gary, welcome back to WGN, my friend. Oh, it's always good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, Before we talk about Last Out and a couple of other things, uh, just uh, over the past week we lost, I know, a longtime friend of yours and one of the people also uh, very involved in the early days of Steppenwolf, uh, the brilliant uh, director and performer Frank Galati, what what are some of your uh, memories of Frank? What a dear person. I've known Frank for many, many years. Um, he was just a, a light, always so positive, such a, a force and extremely talented writer, director, and actor. I met him 
back in the 70s and early 80s. And um, at one point, I, I, I was the artistic director at the time, and uh, I had this idea that the company should do that classic Kaufman and Hart play called You Can't Take It With You. And I asked Frank to come and direct it. And within days of working with the ensemble, he'd never worked with us before, everybody just fell in love with him. And it was clear that, uh, you know, he should be a part of our group. So I asked him to join the company, and uh, that was probably back in 1985 or so. And uh, he's been a dear friend to all of us for many, many years. It's a great loss for us. Yeah, so influential, uh, not only for those that worked with him professionally, but very early on, he uh, started teaching at Northwestern and influenced, you know, a whole generation of students uh, to to love theater the way that he did. Uh, he he was he he was just quite a guy, really quite a quite a life force. I was lucky enough to have met him and interviewed him uh, several times before he retired and moved to Florida. We we had a tremendous time. We worked in the. Uh, I remember in the meeting that I asked him to join the company. I asked him if he had any ideas for projects, and he said. What, what would you think about The Grapes of Wrath as a play? And I, I loved the idea. We immediately jumped on it and, and uh, secured the rights to do it. And within uh, a couple of years, he had uh, a first draft, and we went to work on it in 1988. We opened it at the Royal George across the street, um, you know, down the street at that time from Steppenwolf. And then we moved it to La Jolla, California, London, and then eventually wound up on Broadway in 1990. Frank won the Tony Award for Best Director, and the play won for Best Play. Yeah, it was a tremendous journey. Yeah, the the the, uh, the it, it reminded me uh, just you know hearing and reading uh, all of these stories when Frank passed away, the early days of Steppenwolf. How you guys just you know you you started this off like really on a on a shoestring pretty much, and could you have ever imagined at that time? that Steppenwolf would grow to be one of the most respected theater companies in the world? Uh, of course not. <laughs> we we were kids. I was 18 years old when uh, Steppenwolf started nearly 50 years ago. It was 1974. I had just graduated high school, and I uh, had no plans to go to college, and we, we just got some kids together and started doing plays in a, in a little church and in a little elementary school and... And um, that, those were the seeds that were planted that evolved into Steppenwolf Theater, uh, and now nearly 50 years old, with a massive complex on Halstead Street and having traveled the world and done plays all over the place. Yeah. A great ensemble of, of, of actors and directors and people that are involved with the company over the years. It's really, it really is kind of a great American dream story when you start with nothing but a an idea and a passion and it drives you next thing you know you're 50 years down the road and, <laughs> and we, <laughs> we are what we are <laughs> what, what, what happened how did we get to be old men like this right yeah uh, right who were, who were some of the other young kids uh it was malkovich in the early days right uh yeah the, there there were uh 
I actually got the company going um, right out of high school with a group of kids who were still in high school at the time. And Jeff Perry was one of my best friends from high school. We did theater together in high school. He went off to Illinois State University, and I, I stayed in Highland Park. And uh, he met Terry Kinney down there, and I had started this group with uh, some of the kids in high school, and Jeff and Terry came up and did a play with us in 1974, and then the three of us sort of banded together and formed what would be the early uh, origins of the ensemble. John Malkovich was a part of that. Uh, Joan Allen came in a year later. Lori Metcalf was there in the beginning. Alan Wilder. Moira Harris, H. E. Bacchus, and, and a woman named Nancy Evans. It was uh, it was the nine of us in the beginning, and we operated in a basement of a Catholic school that was was kind of abandoned at that time. The school had closed down. They let us use the basement, and that became the early days of Steppenwolf Theater. Manifested itself into what we have today, which is this giant company and uh, giant complex and having done hundreds of plays over the years. Yeah, and, and literally world-renowned. Any place that I've gone, uh, when they hear that I'm from Chicago, they talk about the theater scene in Chicago, and Steppenwolf always comes up uh, every single time, no matter what city I'm in. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about the special presentation, Last Out, L.E.G. of, uh, of uh, a Green Beret, that Gary is uh, Gary's foundation is uh, putting on uh, for two nights only uh, over at Steppenwolf's Downstairs Theater. We'll talk all about that. Gary Sinise on with us. Uh, coming right back, WGN. Our special guest this morning, the great Gary Sinise, with a special production coming in next week to the Steppenwolf Downstairs uh, Theater. Gary, tell us uh, about la- uh, Last Out. The uh, Elegy of a Green Beret. Well, uh, thanks, Dean. Um, speaking of the early days of Steppenwolf, back in 1983, um, uh, earlier I married uh, one of our ensemble members, Moira Harris. I met her through Jeff Perry, and she was an early member of the company. And uh, her two brothers had served in Vietnam, and I met them. And I got to know them and got to love them and got to feel a lot of compassion for them and what they had gone through in Vietnam. So when I was directing at Steppenwolf back in in the early 80s, I was the artistic director, and I started looking for material that would, uh, that I, would speak to the Vietnam veteran experience, and I wanted to direct a play about it. And I found this play that was called Tracers that was written by a group of Vietnam veterans, that was, and they were performing it in Los Angeles. I flew out there. I saw it. I was, I was knocked out by it. I went back the next night, and I saw it, and then I started begging them to let me do it. They eventually gave me the rights in, in about 1982 or so, and Steppenwolf had gone to uh, Off-Broadway. We had a big hit with True West, uh, Sam Shepard play that Malkovich and I did, and we were getting some national attention, and they gave me the rights to do Tracers, and uh, we opened it in uh, early 1984, and I wanted to make it available to veterans especially our Vietnam veterans, to see it. So we made every Tuesday night 
at Steppenwolf Free for Veterans. That kind of began what has been a nearly 40-year program of always having uh, what we call a vet's night. And uh, the first performance, usually at Steppenwolf, of every perform every play we've done ever since uh, is for veterans. And then I discovered this play that was written by an Afghanistan veteran uh, named Scott Mann. He was a lieutenant colonel, special forces, and he was dealing with a lot of issues. Somebody encouraged him to start telling his story and to write it. And so he wrote it into a play, and he put an all-veteran cast together, much like what I saw back in the 80s with the Vietnam veterans performing their own play. And it's called Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret, and it speaks to the Afghanistan experience and the experience of our of our veterans today in the 21st century. Um, and I just loved it. And I thought, you know, and I and I met Scott, and then he told me that he read my book. It's called Grateful American, A Journey from Self-to-Service. And in that book, I write quite extensively about the Vietnam veterans in my family and the experience of working with on tracers and you know, having gotten involved with supporting local Vietnam veterans in Chicago back then. And uh, then I discovered his play. He told me his, reading my book was a real incentive for him, and it was just a, a pairing from God, I thought, and just a great synergy, because what he's trying to do with the play is access veterans who are struggling with their experiences of serving in Afghanistan and Iraq and encourage them to tell their own stories because it was a way for him to heal. So he wrote this play, and I said, this is right in line with what we're trying to do at the Gary Sinise Foundation with our relief and resiliency programs, trying to help and reach out to veterans, uh, help them with their mental wellness issues. So my foundation, the Gary Sinise Foundation, uh, I reached out to Steppenwolf, and I said, I'd love to, to bring the play there. We're going to produce it around the country, and we'd like to start it at Steppenwolf. And so uh, on the 20th and 21st, Last Out will premiere at Steppenwolf. It's not the same theater that I did Tracers in all those years ago, but it's right down the street from 2851 North Halstead, which is where we did Tracers. And we're encouraging all veterans to come out. It's a very easy ticket. Uh, we're making it very accessible to veterans. We want as many people to see it as possible, and there's always a post-show discussion that is very is powerful to learn the stories of what our current um, veteran community is going through. And, and that reminds me completely and totally of what we did with, with Tracers. The post-show discussions for Tracers uh, were very illuminating and very healing for the people that came to see it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's twenty dollars for general public, which is uh, a, a bargain to see something at Steppenwolf. But five dollars for veterans, active military, and military families. Tickets are on sale now. If you go to Steppenwolf dot org, you can uh, also get more information by going to Gary Sinise Foundation dot org. Last out, the Elegy of uh, a Green Beret. January 20th and 21st, 7 p.m., Steppenwolf's 
downstairs uh, theater. It's great that you're bringing this here. And Gary, I've told you this before. I'm I'm just completely in awe of the selfless work that you do for veterans uh, and that you have ha- done for decades and decades and decades. Uh, your your commitment is the, the real deal, and I'm uh, I'm I'm humbled to know you. I, I I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate that, Dean. Thanks so much for uh, having me on and for getting the word out about the play. I appreciate it. Very good. We'll talk soon, Gary Sinise. Hey, we'll get a complete update of news in just a second. Uh, but Andy, before we do that. A uh, little bit of an update on uh, DeMar Hamlin, right? Yeah. So uh, according to the Associated Press, uh, DeMar Hamlin, who uh, went into cardiac arrest just a couple of weeks ago in Cincinnati, is planning to attend today's Buffalo wildcard game at home against the Dolphins. Uh, again, they're trying to keep his schedule a little under wraps just because of all the uh, attention, obviously, that's been uh, put on him. But uh, he did visit with his teammates yesterday and hasn't really been seen in public since the incident in Cincinnati on January 2nd, but he is apparently planning to attend the game today as a fan. That's uh, It's just amazing. It's great. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the healing that, uh, that he undertook, uh, you know, obviously being young, I think that probably helped him a little bit, but uh, the fact is it, it didn't look good on January 2nd. He was, uh, he was resuscitated twice on the way, uh, once on the field and once on the way to the hospital. And, uh, you know, now he's been released from the hospital he's uh, planning to attend a game today yeah and uh, you know it was an especially dramatic moment when all the players stopped when everybody stopped and took a knee and you know shielded him uh you know surrounded him so the doctors could give him the proper attention uh it added a gravity to what was uh, happening and you know everybody was was so concerned and then started to get these positive messages, you know, Instagram messages or pictures of him forming a heart with his fingers yep. uh, and then being released from uh, the hospital and then being released from uh, the uh, being uh, going home right. uh, a- after he's released from uh, two hospitals. Yeah, pretty amazing. As, as a matter of fact. So it's uh, uh, it is going to be. A spectacular moment, I would think, when he walks out on the field. <laughs> yes. And what kind of reception that is uh, going to be today. Yeah, it'll be pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know, Buffalo, obviously one of the, the favorites in the AFC to, to get to the Super Bowl. So uh, this will probably uh, jack them up just a little bit sure. more. <laughs> oh, my God. I can only imagine. All right. Well, uh, Andy will keep us posted as more details uh, uh, come out. We will pass them along to you. Thank you for making some soup today. This is, uh, this is my official food segment uh, for today. In our abbreviated show. What thinking, kind of soup? I was thinking of making some soup today. Yes, but what kind? What kind would you like me to make? Mm. Not that I'm going to bring you any, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, won't, I won't see you until next week. No, I know. It'll go bad by All then. too soon. I will have eaten it all by then. Um, well, let's see here. Um, you know what I was thinking? Go, go ahead and tell me which, what, you, what you... I was thinking of a lobster bisque. Ooh. Mm. Andy, uh, I'm always uh, up for a little chicken tortilla. Mm. Chicken tortilla, also good choice. Good. Yeah, I was thinking about French onion though. Ooh, yeah, always up for French onion and all that goopy, healthy cheese. <laughs> Don't tell Doctor Most. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably more cheese than there is soup. <laughs> all right. Let's see which one. Well, I'm gonna have yeah. to, I'm gonna have to think about that. And that concludes our food segment. Uh, for <laughs> Once upon a time, it started with a wish. Into the woods, the musical reimagining of Grimm's fairy tale, 
It's coming to the Paramount Theater in Aurora. And we've got another one of our Dean's Night Out coming up Sunday, February 12th. The 5.30 p.m. performance. Ten winners and their guests will join me to see the show and also enjoy a pre-show reception. You can enter to win at WGNRadio.com. WGNRadio.com. Last April, we went to the world premiere of the new Elvis movie at Graceland Mansion in Memphis, interviewed the entire cast, uh, an event that Priscilla and her daughter Lisa Marie Presley also attended. Uh, Before the actual world premiere screening, uh, the cast uh, spoke to the audience and the press that was uh, assembled, and uh, so did the former wife of Elvis Presley and his only child, Lisa Marie, uh, speaking to the audience. First up here, I believe, is Priscilla. Wonderful, wonderful occasion. Um, my family, I'm not going to just speak for myself, but, but we're here to support this movie and to back um, uh, the, 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 all the folks here today that were in the film. And of course, Baz, your genius. I mean, what you've done. I mean, you know the story that I was very reluctant at first, not knowing how this film was going to turn out, because, you know, Baz can get a little, you know, he's got his, <laughs> he's got his own take. <laughs> has his own take on things and I was nervous and um, actually the the first uh, viewing that Jerry and I got we were by ourselves in the theater we did not speak at all not and we weren't going to go to Cannes because we hadn't seen the film yet and my concern was oh my gosh I'm gonna go I know Baz I mean not personally but I do know he's on his own and uh, (laughs) and he listens to no one and he does everything he's not only a you know the producer, but the writer, the, he is the heart and soul of this film. So um, as we're sitting in the audience, not the audience, in the, in the theater, Jerry and I are not talking to each other, and I leaned over to Jerry and I said, well, it looks like we're going to Cannes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here this evening, and of course my, my daughter being here, and I know she loved it, and of course Riley, as we know, has got her own award in her film that she had. was unreal. Um, Austin, you know how we feel. Truly, you, you, Elvis morphed into you, I have to say. You had his guidance. You had his guidance. Tom, you were amazing as Colonel. You were amazing. You got it down. And, you know, we had a, a talk about him, a long lunch, and, uh, and you, you did it. You, you really did it. You gave it so much thought, and that means a whole lot to us. And, of course, beautiful Olivia. <laughs> Thank you so much. You were so, you really, you, you touched my heart um, in the film. You truly did. And of course, all of you, you did a great, all of you did a great part in this. So thank you so much. Lisa, you want to say something? Sure. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I do want to say that I, I feel so honored to be part of this. I really wasn't expecting this. I didn't know what to expect. I was... I saw it twice. The first time I saw it, I was just nervous. I was gripping the chair like, oh God, what's gonna happen? What is this? You know, how's the actor gonna be? How's, you know, 
you know, is it going to be too crazy? Is it going to be? It's been, you know, one in my life. It's been one disappointment after the other in terms of people portraying my father um, in various films or attempts to bless their hearts. I'm sure that they meant well. <laughs> I'm sure they meant well. But let me just tell you something. It's at this point, I tell you this with all my heart, and the only that's the reason I'm here. It's been done right. In every way, in every way, Baz, all the cast, Austin, I can't, I can't even like it's. It's hard for me to even get the words out to Austin. Um, but it just even just just the devotion and the, the everything just from the speaking to the obviously the performances the dances the the movements and the but just the the silly mannerisms and not in a way that's a caricature or some satire or some you know silliness it, like he genuinely grabbed his spirit like i've never seen before and um having you know not been i was quite young but i still remember you know um, my father's energy and his vibe and, and Dawson absolutely in, you know, um, in, what's the word? Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. He nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Baz, obviously, the, all, the whole cast has been incredible. And, and Baz, I, I have no words uh, for you. I, you. You took me, I saw it with you. I was terrified. And then I was like, was after he came in, I watched it alone by myself in a movie theater. Baz left me and he came back to get me when it was over. And I, he said, what do you think? And I just, I, I was like, I'm a... I'm 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 a I'm a wreck, and then I and then I just started crying my eyes out to Daz, and like ended up in his arms, and I was just a mess. So that was the first time, and the second time was, you know, one of the most incredible. And then I'll shut up. Um, <clears throat> things that I didn't know was that Austin's actually singing um, all of the young Elvis. So, I didn't know though, okay? The first time I saw the movie, I actually didn't catch it. I thought it was they were using, he was using tracks. So I just want to say that because that was quite shocking for me as well as everything else that he did that was incredible. But okay, I'll be quiet now. I love the movie and I hope you do as well. <laughs> and of course, this week, the uh, just horrible, tragic news that Lisa Marie Presley uh, also passed away of cardiac arrest at the age of uh, 54 years old. Th that recording is when I attended the world premiere at uh, Graceland Mansion in Memphis, Tennessee. She was at the Golden Globes just this past Tuesday. Uh, she um, uh, kind of uh, spoke uh, and was part of the Elvis birthday celebration last Sunday, a week ago today, uh, at Graceland Mansion. Uh, no official cause of death has been announced um, but uh, just a terrible tragedy. And they did announce that uh, Lisa Marie will be laid to rest uh, at Graceland Mansion.